I can't come here and die I can't come here and lose Got all this shit on my mind Like what the fuck I'm a day Work ain't paid me in time My baby just ripped me my mood No two just cut off my line Hi guys And welcome to the Echo Chamber I'm Jade And I'm Ez And today we're going to talk about anger We've got a little segment in this episode Yeah, we'll leave, we'll leave until it comes are you in the suspension i in fact no you'll see in the title in fact. <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah so in we've got a segment with patrick hutchinson which is sick where we do discuss anger and we talk about forms and methods of resistance and just that expression really expression of anger um expression in the face of injustice and unfairness and structural racism generally that is sick. Patrick Hutchinson is a busy man. <laughs> We're going to set the conversation in some deeper context. So opening question. So the opening question today is, when was the last time you experienced anger in relation to racism? So I think I experienced anger and frustration and irritability in the face of racism all the time. Yeah, I think I get um, angry irritated and frustrated at all forms of racism that I even just witness so yeah I get vexed I don't ever really do anything I don't ever really do anything um, apart from feel my anger or frustration or yeah feel irritated yeah in terms of structural racism and feeling angry actually I think that the last time that I felt angry and acted upon it in true Jade style so like lots of writing and all of that sort of diplomatic stuff was this summer actually um, in relation to work. I work at two places but one of the places that I work at I just felt very much like or I feel very much like there is a contempt and a, a lack of care for sector of the organization that is like predominantly filled up by black and asian members of staff who are predominantly from working class communities irrespective of race and gender that anger has led me to sort of yeah advocate and sort of circumvent the whole the union angle of things because that's its own political wahala last time i was angry was at work and the last time that that anger drove me to act was at work but it wasn't like violent or anything what about you the last time I was angry in relation to like racism and race was the Lecky massacre it made me think about global politics and international relations and the ways that race that is that happens black lives is black people live in the countries where those things happen the history of colonialism imperialism is why these things happen so that although that was not directly related to race um, as in black and white I felt anger towards I saw the racial angle in that the time before that more personally was also at work where I felt that I had been positioned as an agitator by a senior member of staff a very senior member of staff um, in an organization that I was working for and I felt that I had and it was the kind of you know the kind of anger that sits in your stomach in your back in your toes in your neck in your ears (laughs) like I was furious at the way that like this very kind of smiley 
soft, kind, understanding, intelligent woman and white woman had positioned me as an agitator. Um, and I had to be very diplomatic about how I handled that matter, how I communicated, stood up for myself in, in relation to that. And it was anger mixed up with lots of other different things. Um, but yeah, I think that's the last time I felt that I had like, personally experienced anger or injustice directly in relation to race. I felt so sick when you was um, describing the sweet and intelligent and soft angle of of your former manager or whatever, because I think that that angle is always so insidious and scary. And then your reaction to it always feels like too much or just, yeah, like overstated. You feel like a mad girl. When you're faced with that covert racism, and just to name it as what it is, but it can be intentional or unintentional, but it's racism. Mm. When you're faced with that type of covert racism, it's difficult though, because it's difficult. And I want to be really like honest. I, in that scenario, could separate the act from the person. Okay. Which created other emotions because I actually had, I'm quite fond of the person. So there was also that like, the difficulty of having to navigate that yeah in this scenario and having to like do the work to show the person the truth of what was what's going in here and the fact that I'm being positioned in this way is racist and even the way that I was positioned in that way was very subtle so it's not even that oh anybody's come to me to say oh you are an agitator or you have done this or that but it was more I'm going to avoid engaging with you on this topic because of my fear that you will agitate the situation. Yeah, which wasn't good enough, not good enough. I think I used to feel anger all the time in relation to race, you know, every day. <laughs> but I don't anymore. I, f- I find it really like laughable often. Like things that used to get my back up, I, I find funny, like really funny. Um, even that like, my wax lady. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my wax lady who I love, one of the women that does my wax, who I absolutely love, yeah. She's an auntie, like, she's like an auntie, in it? I'm not even going to say where she's from, but she's not black. Anyway, <laughs> she was like, so when I told her what I do, like, oh, yeah, that like, I work with young women on road or that like, I work with young women involved in the criminal justice system, she was like, oh, that like, mad, mad. Then, <laughs> then she asked me if there's any young women from the country that she's from. And then when I was like, yeah... She was like, oh, like she was so shocked. She was like, oh my gosh, like what? Like there's young people from my country kind of vibe. But in my head, it's like, so who do you think, if it's not young people, if like, if they can't be from your country, which kind of young women did you assume that I worked with? Um, and she was saying things that are like, you can probably relate. I was just saying things that is like, are you all right? But it was bare funny and I just I entertained her and I like did I left when I left her house I was laughing at her um and I know that she means she means she doesn't mean it's just genuine sheer ignorance as opposed to malice but it's racist it's racist isn't it um and those things would get my back up before but I don't have the energy anymore to be honest to be angry all the time no I hear you I definitely hear that I definitely think that it's almost like um 
maybe it comes with maturity but I think I can remember a time where I wouldn't have noticed that as racist or I wouldn't have yeah I wouldn't have noticed or deeped or described or yeah clocked that as that a form of racism and and I can remember a time where that would have meant like I can't go to her to get a wax anymore now like I can't do that she's racist da 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 and now I'm definitely in your place where it's like you're dumb <laughs> you're so dumb and it's laughable and it's and it's gen- a genuine lack of education why you say things like that or why you believe those kinds of things it's a lack of exposure um it's a lack of worldliness why these are the things that you believe or the thing yeah the things that you believe actually um and why you're saying it and not think like not having any inkling that oh what you're saying is mad as well I wanted to talk a little bit about anger more generally. So maybe not necessarily only in relation to racism, only because I think that we both have really interesting relationships with anger and very different trajectories probably with anger. And actually, I don't think that we are very dissimilar when it comes to our anger. I think that we've got a lot of parallels in terms of our lives um, and our trajectories. And I think that we both have like things to be angry about. We actually have a lot of things to be angry about Um, and there are a lot of similarities in the depth of what we've got to be angry about that have happened to us or that we've seen or whatever but we're very different as we stand as two women in our late 20s we're very different I mentioned it on the last episode that I lost my temper recently Uh, (laughs) and I lost my temper earlier this year as well in like the summer the last time I lost my temper genuinely I think it was two years ago um, but I could be wrong (laughs) And a time before that, I think it was two or three years prior that I really lost my temper. And this most recent time that I lost my temper, so the default is for shame, like for me to feel ashamed. But I've really been thinking about my anger and the the little outpouring of anger that I had. And um, I think about like the righteousness of my anger and the justification for it. And a different time in my life where I didn't have any outpourings of anger, where I was definitely like suppressing it in a constant state of suppression and how maybe this is just all of that, all of those years of suppression just coming up in little bursts um, and how maybe actually good that is versus bad. Yeah, I, I have a really interesting relationship with anger in that I spent most of my adolescence angry violently angry and then I had an incident when I was 17 that made me so angry and even as I'm speaking about it my body's like I'm feeling it in my body it made me so angry that I reached a place in my spirit in my mind that I never reach again and I wouldn't wish it on anybody off the back of that started to believe that anger is a demon and the anger possesses people because where my mind went, where my spirit went in the darkness of that incident, it was extreme. And off the back of that, like really worked on like not being in situations that will trigger me in those ways and responding better when I feel anger. And also beneath anger is pain yeah starting to, and I think that like starting to uproot some of the pain and the hurt and deal with that from its root 
just made me less angry, less of an angry person anyway. I engage with anger in a, in a significantly healthier way. So I feel it and I use it, I utilize it. When I feel it, I try to use it. What can I do with this? How can I use this productively? I don't like to let it fit in my body. So even if that's I have to get up and move or I have to like meditate or I have to punch something, not someone, something. <laughs> <laughs> or I have to like jump up and down 10 times. I don't know what it is, but I like to shift it out of my body. If it sits in my body for too long, I start to feel sick and I start to feel like I have to do something rather than... But I always say this, when for anyone that's ever been violent, yeah, it's an interesting thing because you always know that you can be violent Mm. in ways that someone who hasn't doesn't so for example when I'm in a workplace because in the past I've punched people up and I've seen what happens when you punch somebody up even though this it was a very long time since I punched someone up it's been a very long time but I know that oh you'll stop doing this thing if I punched you up and I can punch you up it's like your brain is like constantly fighting or my brain, I'll speak for myself, is constantly fighting myself to reprogram to that what average person in society thinks, which isn't that. So to the average person in society, it's not acceptable to use violence um, to get what you want or to to respond when you're upset. But my in my brain, it is acceptable. And I've had to retrain my brain for it to not be acceptable, if that makes sense. But I can always go there. I can always, it's a choice. I can always go there. Um, but yeah, I don't think, have I been, have I lost my temper in the time that we've been friends? I don't think I have. I've never um, witnessed you lose your temper. Yeah, I don't think I've, I think the last time I really lost my temper, and to be really honest with myself, brutally, brutally honest, I didn't even really lose my temper that day, but I reacted badly. Let me just put it that way. <laughs> I reacted in a way that I shouldn't have reacted. I think it was 2017, and I'm just, I'm not going to talk too much about the incident, but I reacted in a way that I shouldn't have. But the truth of the matter is, I don't even think I was like that angry, but I just think it was more, it was a choice. It was like, I'm going to choose to react in this way yeah, I hear as opposed you. to other ways. Whereas when I was younger, I was consumed by anger. I would have that fight and blackout. And I won't know what's happening until like, I'm getting pulled off the person or the person's like severely bleeding or something mad has happened. And it's like, whoa, did I do that? How did I do that? Or like, even like in the household, I would like do mad things. Like I kicked my mum's door in one time, like kicked a hole through her door. I dashed glass full force at my brother's head one time. And these were just like things that I just used to do. It would, it would control me. Like, I wouldn't genuinely didn't identify the, the point at which I chose to do those things. So not to say that I didn't make those choices, because I did. But at the time, was so immersed in the emotion of, of feeling so angry that I didn't know the point at, in which I chose to react violently. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I've come a very, very, very long way in relation to my anger um, and how I express it and how I engage with it. Yeah, I, w- I wonder a lot about the violence, violence and anger and if they're like mutually exclusive, basically. Um, I was with somebody for a long time who was a very angry, but also very violent person. 
um, violence just felt like it was the default as a product of anger. So I've never been violent. I've never, yeah, apart from maybe in school, like two times, I've never hit anybody. I've never put my hands on somebody. I've never been violent to somebody. I don't know if that's a choice, if that's like a conscious choice. So you talk about like a decision is, yeah, like a decision kind of thing. Like you make a decision. I don't know if that's a choice. And I wonder about that as well. If it's a choice not to be violent, if the, if yeah, as I said, anger and violence are mutually exclusive. I wonder, bringing it a little bit back to the racism stuff, I wonder because um, in Patrick's book, he talks about hope and like us being conditioned into hope so that we could survive. And he talks obviously about like, yeah, he just, he talks about violence and anger and obviously we'll get into that with him. But I just wonder like, where, so where does it go? Like what happens to it? Does it calcify? Does it explode one day? What happens when you've like swallowed violation for years and years and years what happens when there's so many things for you to be angry about you as described like the foundation of anger obviously being pain and I definitely agree and you talk about healing that pain but what about when the pain is from structures and it feels like how can I heal that so I get like I can heal transgressions from people on an interpersonal level I can forgive I can I can even have conversations and have dialogue with those people I can understand but when it's structural that's that doesn't feel like an option and it feels so cyclical because it's like okay so then where does where does that anger go because there is no like means to quote-unquote heal that it doesn't it doesn't go anywhere and and people get sick Mm-hmm. Um, so to me that's where it goes it goes to that I've said it before and I mean it I genuinely mean it black lives don't matter <laughs> they don't matter in the constructs the world as it stands today black lives are not important so when that anger that pain festers in our communities we get sick and that sickness manifests in different ways psychologically emotionally spiritually mentally financially mm-hmm. like in every way possible you can see the ways in which that pain is manifesting in black communities all over the world it's a really good point um what you made earlier about does anger automatically equal violence I don't think it does I think that there's cold and hot anger and I think that cold anger is internalized like no people that that's how their anger manifests and it's scary because it's like, it's scary. It's scary for me. Um, yeah, it's scary for me to think that like people live with that level of like pain unaddressed. Again, like you've noted, when this anger is coming from structural, systemic forms of violence, um, that's just as violent as me picking up my hand. So in as much as when I think about the 14, 15 year old girl that used to fight every day and had quote unquote too much anger, she was pouring out everything that was poured into her. That's all it was. It was an outpouring. I couldn't contain all of the emotions 
I couldn't name the injustices. I could, I hadn't, I wasn't even at a, pla- a place in my life where I could like cognitively understand why I felt so much rage, why a teacher telling me to take my journal out is making me throw chairs in the classroom. Why a teacher telling me that I'm not allowed to wear that, that jacket to school is making me do just do mad things. Do you see what I'm saying? It's like the disproportionate response or like that it was definitely like a reaction to what I'd absorbed but also I've and I've and I've I'd like to do some research on this at some point if I ever return to academia but I'm really interested in the ways in which embodying blackness in the west is manufactured and what I mean by that is as a young black girl growing up with these emotions what around me taught me that that is how I express those emotions yeah and I think for me I can speak for myself I can't speak for anyone else but for me I think that a lot of my performance of anger was exactly that a performance it all started as a performance of oh this is how I I somebody like me that exists in this society this is how I am meant to behave when I feel like this and I know this because I've seen A do it or B told me that that's what I was going to do even when I wasn't or C flinched when I when I stood next to them even though I didn't do anything so it's like when you're actually positioned as an agitator naturally anyway how does that become a self-fulfilling prophecy what are the expectations of you as as particularly uh, black people in in the West or in this society Um, and that makes me think about the ways in which we are given we're given the rage by the system and then we're given the outlet this is how you're expected to to respond to it it's really interesting what you just said there you're making me really think about I feel like maybe where my anger I don't want to say started and I also need to backtrack because I said that I've never apart from one or two times in school where I was quote unquote violent I wouldn't even call it violent but where I put my hands on somebody I'm lying I've also put my hands on people in my early 20s but it's so interesting what you just said there so I think in the vein of respectability politics and actually trying to carve out an image for myself of who I wanted to be and how I wanted to be perceived by the world I think I've always avoided anger and avoided violence as well but I think that my anger and consequent, not violence, but so I have, I've kicked things, I've shouted. Yeah, I've kicked things and I've shouted and I've thrown things as well in my, in my rage. I feel like in the relationship that I was in for the early part of my 20s, just remember not feeling heard and not feeling like I was able to communicate with words and communicating with words that was the way I taught myself to express myself, to communicate. Yeah, I taught myself to communicate. I taught myself this is the way you need to express your anger or injustice or like how you're disgruntled and whatever. And in that relationship with an angry person, this person didn't hear me. This person wasn't listening to me. Um, this person refused to hear me. I remember a couple of years into the relationship feeling that every time I tried to talk, or express something, some kind of pain or grievance. Physically, I was always getting tongue-tied. 
I still struggle with it a little bit now. This wasn't, this has never been the case for me. Getting tongue tied, getting lost for words, stuttering. I have never experienced that in that relationship. I experienced it chronically. And I feel like that was where the anger grew out of. That's when the anger started. That's where this like rage, this like, I'm going to throw something or I'm going to scream or whatever. I feel like that's where it started. So it's interesting what you said about it being born of like a stereotype and being born of like, this is how you're going to behave, essentially, almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy, as you said. Um, But for me, I feel like my trajectory has been quite different it was born of like a frustration that me attempting to be respectable isn't doing anything for me in this context I find myself in so I'm gonna scream and rage yeah I find it interesting and I think bringing it around to Patrick Hutchinson and his acts of benevolence I wonder if there is that limits to how angry one can be when they've when they're so used to things so it's like similar to like my wax lady say whatever she say whatever racist stuff she's saying I can laugh it's really laughable to me because I'm so comfortable with the fact most people in the world are racist so that's so normal to me so I'm so desensitized to it that you can come and say your racist bullshit to me and I can laugh at you Um, And I can actually name it as seemingly harmless, even though it's not when you look at it, when you really look at it. And actually, if I was a younger woman coming to her to be waxed, or if I didn't have the views that I have or whatever, do you know what I mean? How could that be harmful? And how is it harmful in terms of how you engage with people on the street, in terms of how you engage with your your children's friends um, or potential partners or whatever, do you know what I mean? So it's like, racism is never harmless it's never ever harmless but I guess the ability to compartmentalize and I wonder if for the older generation as we touched on when we're speaking with Uncle P (laughs) for the older generation I wonder if they have just for survival they've had to compartmentalize they've had to rise above they've learned that actually all this fire and vim like I said I got tired of being angry and my anger was not even righteous do you know what I mean my anger wasn't even necessarily oh people are being racist or people do you know what I mean I was just an angry child just looking at how much they've had to endure to succeed to do well in Britain particularly and in the world over but in Britain I'll, I'll talk about are we going to reach that point basically is, I guess is what I'm, I'm trying to figure out are we going to get to a place where we're tired, we're so tired, in the same way that five years ago, the wax lady couldn't have said that to me. She could not have said that to me without getting a response. Whereas now I'm like, do you know what, that one, I can't, I'm not gonna t- attack that one. And then, yeah, I, I wonder if, if as we age, um, we'll be less angry and more accepting of, of what, we, what we see as quote unquote reality. We are very honoured to have him on and very grateful that he's taken time to speak to us today. So we have got Patrick Hutchinson with us. Yeah, a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> I've, struggled with, I've struggled with it my whole life, that, that, that surname. Nice to, to meet you guys. Really uh, appreciate you having me on. So the first question that we had for you was, what do you do with anger? What do black people do with anger in the face of this stuff? Well, um, for me, um, and a lot of the guys that I uh, move with the best one of our the best way to channel our anger 
And one of the best anger management uh, things that we do is, is basically training, martial arts training specifically. Um, I think we've mentioned, uh, I think in one of our interviews with Men's Health, that when you spend a lot of time uh, hitting and punching things and elbowing things and kneeing things, and then you spar with one another and sort of uh, knock, uh, knock a few bells out of each other and you grapple and you choke each other, there's very little energy left to be angry when we're out and about on the, uh, on the street. And it's something that we advocate for young men too. I feel like once you've got yourself involved in martial arts, boxing and these types of activities, where you do get to express yourself physically um, and tap into your mental well-being, um, I feel like you've got nothing to prove when you're out and about and, and you are in a much more serene place. That's what I feel anyway. And I would recommend it for anybody. I feel like that is definitely something I heard. So I was at 11 and I got into Taekwondo and it was a black yeah. man school. Um, and he had his son, his older son and his younger son as well. And that was definitely his attitude. So that's not, that's not new. And I think I tend to agree with you as well. I have a question for you. <laughs> First, I just wanted to say though, so um, I, I received your book yesterday, very much enjoying it. Um, it's beautifully written. So you actually brought my attention to something that I really never considered. And I was a little bit embarrassed because it was like, Jade, are you mad? How can you not have, have clocked this? How could you not have deeped this? But you talk about the imagery from that day when you're carrying this, this fascist <laughs> on your shoulders, <laughs> actually changing the narrative for that season of protest. The media and British people, and I guess people in the world generally, have no choice but to look upon that season of protest in the UK with particular eyes or with a particular attitude. They can't call us savage. They can't call us agitators. They can't call us violent. They can't call us aggressive because of your act and, and the imagery. That has changed a lot of my thoughts about it. So I do feel like there's a little bit of a flip side. And I wonder if the media platforming and posturing that imagery, if it sort of gaslights Black people into having to be a Patrick Hutchinson to get white people's ear um, in the face of this stuff. Yeah, I totally uh, understand, uh, especially your, probably your initial position when you first saw what had happened. And um, I really appreciate the fact that you can, you know, you came to terms and you can admit to yourself that it kind of, you flipped your opinion on it slightly. Um, I've had numerous conversations with young Black men on road, you've recognised me on the ends and have stopped me and said, uncle man, like, duh, 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 duh. and um, we've reasoned, we've had really good growing up adult conversation and they've come away thinking, you know what, I wouldn't have done it, but I can respect that you did it and I understand why you did it. And um, you change the narrative. We've got positive stereotypes out there of black men now, because it's not just me, it's my brothers that were with me on the day as well. And they can't take that away from us. And this is in history and they can't reverse it or change it or do anything with it, but run with it. And this is, you know, what we're trying to get across. Um, from the, the, the flip side of the whole thing, I totally get what you're saying. And I feel like, um, you know, it's not for everybody to be a Patrick Hutchinson. This is just who I am. I've always been this way. People that know me, know me closely. Some people have said, you're one of the few people I know that would actually do something like that because I'm just, I, that's just who I am. And I'm not trying to say everybody should be like me. And I, I feel like um, people shouldn't get it twisted. They shouldn't be out there disrespecting us because we're just going to turn the other cheek. Not everybody's going to do like what I did. And we've seen evidence of that, you know. 
you know, I listen, I coach a lot of young children and I, so I, I can, I can, I know a lot of slang, right. And a lot of, I know a lot of street and I, I talk with them all the time. And sometimes, you know, you talk shit, you get banged. That's what happens. Right. <laughs> but that, but this is what happens. So I feel like, um, no, you don't have to be a Patrick Hutchinson, but I, but I wouldn't advocate violence. I would never advocate violence. And there is always another way. Just another point I would add is, is when you perpetuate violence, all you're doing is being just like what we've received over for many, many hundreds of years. How are we going to change things if we just go about it the same way? Because let's face it, nothing's changed just as yet. And we've been to and from with this thing for a very, very long time. And we want to see some real change, right? And in my opinion, the only way it really things really change is if everybody comes together and comes on side with us and helps us change it. Because I don't personally believe we can change it on our ones. I just don't. But that's just my opinion. No, I've, I really like what you said, because I think that there is a space for, there is there is a need for everyone to come together. But I do, I am of the belief, and maybe this is just mm. the stage of life that I'm at, I'm of the belief that yeah. in order for some people to get on board, the chat shit get banged uh, mantra <laughs> may need to be applied in some spaces. But I do, I do think that genuinely speaking, seeing the image, just the image of that, that yeah. man on your shoulder, it shifted something for me. Um, yeah. It was very powerful. It was just an undeniable act of manhood. Um, and that's something that was just powerful for me to see. And I'm, and I know like for people that have got specific perceptions of us as a people, I know that they can't deny that. And I think that that's really powerful. And I'm really, really grateful, just that perception. But yeah. again, I think that it is, it's interesting because I think that it's, it's important to understand the range of um, experiences but also reactions that that people might have to right. and yeah. not everybody's going you know. to do yeah exactly yeah I think my only concern ever is definitely I think I've definitely switched my lens to white people and actually um don't use Patrick Hutchinson as a reason to circumvent the introspection um and the ways in which you need to look at yourselves don't look at black people and attempt to police the way that we're reacting to centuries of violation, essentially. Um, you talk about us having like this ingrained capacity to hope. And mm. um, that really made me think about slavery. You say that in the book, mm. and it really made me think about slavery. It made me feel sad because it made me feel like we, ha we have to be superhuman. We've always had to be superhuman. Yeah, irrespective of all of that, after reading your book, I or getting up to the point that I have gotten with your book, my lens has shifted very, very much so. And I'm not even violent. I'm a letter writer. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. In terms of activism or, or resistance. So we're probably not dissimilar in our temperaments. But you can only see so much violence against us without wanting to see some kind of retribution. I can understand why people feel like that way. You know, video after video after video after video after video after video of us being shot and killed and stuff it just gets too much doesn't it um and of course there's going to be people who are going to retaliate and, and retaliate with with in kind with violence of course you know we're all different we're all, we're all different the context of you're watching it from your yard that is already like you're already likely in social housing inadequate social housing likely got a brethren or a brother or a cousin that's inside for some kind of foolishness likely been mistreated in, within the school system, likely your healthcare is not adequate. Like, so that's in the context of that violence. Of everything else, yeah. 
in the context of that violence of whiteness and white supremacy yeah. and the system that we have been raised in. And so I think that there is, I want to acknowledge that it is, to me, it is superhuman to have the yeah. level of evidence that you had. That is, that's a level of being able to engage and yeah. love, like remain human in the face of those things as a black man. You know, people say they don't see colour, but I literally, in, in situations like that, I, I, you, you can't see colour. You just see a life and what's going to happen. And then you see yeah, all the other, what can happen off the back of that. And you, you see it, it's almost like you, the, the vision is there and you just do what you have to do. You don't see colour. It's not like, oh, he's this, I'm not going to do anything. It's just like, this guy's, he could be killed. I need to go in there and stop it because I know that I'm capable of doing that. Can I say you didn't see colour? Because I would have seen colour still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's yeah, what I'm saying, that yeah. it's, a, it's admirable, genuinely. Yeah. Um, but I would have I would have seen colour. I would have yeah. brought him out of his yard that day to come yeah, yeah. to his place. Oh, so you're now right. on the floor. Oh, so yeah. they trample your head. Right, yeah. So <laughs> really, really bad for you. Yeah, I understand what you mean. Yeah. What I would have seen. Yeah, um, yeah. But I, I very much see the importance of and the need for there to be varied reactions and for reaction. people that do have that reaction of actually, I can't see this man's colour, I can see danger and a human yeah. support and I'm going to do that. I think that's a really important position to take. And can I just add one other thing is that um, I noticed with the generations, I can't think of any person from the older generation, especially the, the older black women and stuff who haven't hugged me because they're so proud of what I did versus the younger generations are the ones who have got an issue with it. And that's because, you know, you guys, my children too, it's like they're not having it anymore. I think we've been a little bit more docile. The older generation have sat down and accepted things and not really pushed too many buttons. You know, my mum... And, and her generation, we just did what we was told. And the, the, listen, the youngers are not on that anymore. They want what's theirs and they want equal rights. Um, and, and, and rightly so. So it's definitely a generational gap thing going on as well, I feel. I definitely agree. We've been given this slot to speak to you and me and Ez have had conversations and we're just like, oh, we want to talk about like a million and one things yeah. with you, you know, black masculinity, actually what that imagery does for younger black men. Uh, you are a big black man and you show, as we keep saying, a benevolence, but also a softness and like a a, a fatherly nurturing sort of element of your of yourself in carrying this man to safety. And what does that do for the image of black men generally? And um, that definitely helps it and shows another side to it. Um, and I, I have also thought a lot about the age difference as well. And um do we get like, do we have a little less fire as we get older? We're obviously more responsible as we get older, but yeah, I wonder like politically, I can't imagine not being that how I am now, <laughs> I'm just having fire for everyone. But yeah. I'm sure as I get older, that's gonna change. No, that's a really good point. I would definitely say, I think I've said it in a few interviews, 30 years ago, I probably wouldn't have done that. You know, even even though I trained martial arts and that, I'm not saying I'd go down there looking for a fight, but as, as in jumping in to save that man like that, you know, I cannot say that I would have done that 30 years ago. But, you know, 30 years on, you know, as a granddad and stuff, I just want a peaceful world, man, for my grandchildren. And I just want everybody to get on. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> you, you do change. You do, and it will be interesting to talk to you in a few years' time, uh, Jade, maybe another 20 years, and see, you know, how you're feeling about it. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
Jade's the calm one, you know. Jade's even the huh? calm Jade, Jade. And she's the calm one. I know, she's the calm one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us. It's about okay. It. Yeah, so the book is out this Thursday, the 12th. So we're uh, happy reading everybody that decides to purchase it. I hope you uh, hope it's a thought-provoking read. Not so much for us because we know the stats and the things I've got in there. We know all about that. I'm hoping for the other side that they understand. You know, it's thought-provoking for them, and then they can maybe you know look through the eyes, uh, life through the eyes of a, a young black boy, uh, black man. Definitely. All right. Thank you so much, Patrick. And yeah, we hope to speak to you again soon. I love that. Yeah, I really love talking to him. I really can see how important it was that he did what he did, despite me not being necessarily able to do that or in a place where that's the act that I would have done. And I see the importance of, I see the importance and the need for there to be like diversity in how we police or react to racism. Um, definitely I am um, as I was saying through reading the book and even speaking to him now like there are new ways that I see his act as like important and in a plethora of different ways so as I was saying like in terms of being a new image of black masculinity very powerful very powerful don't police <laughs> a reaction to centuries of fuckery like don't police it yeah all 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 of the ways in which rage and anger in relation to this stuff in this context it's all righteous yeah and if you can see and understand this then you better see and understand when somebody has a different reaction so if you can see that oh wow he's done an amazing thing here and you can understand why it's amazing then you can understand why someone might do something else. <laughs> and so you use the same faculty of thinking to um, to engage and understand why other people might react differently um, and talk to your people, talk to your people so that they're not in positions where people need to react in these ways. As I feel like you, um, <laughs> sometimes you start talking on this podcast, like you have like... <laughs> <laughs> a concert hall of white people yeah no because I thought that white people listen in it so it's and the white people that listen are the type of white people that need to be doing active work in their communities to make sure that this fuckery isn't happening because we're doing active work in our communities so the whites that are listening are either allies or borderline trying to be so let's let's work together for a better world as as patrick said like we can't do it alone we're all going to need to do it together so let's work together for a better world thanks for listening guys listening Just ripping my mood. Oh, two just cut off my line.